0: Hiring a chief marketing officer at an early stage fintech company can be scary. Becoming a first-time CMO can be daunting. Often, you're the only marketing person in the company. Often, you are hard to manage everything from content to paid to PR and branding. And often, you are hard right when a company is in full growth mode. I hear so many questions from fintech founders and even marketers in the fintech industry about CMOs, such as when is the right time to hire a CMO, where do I find one, and how much should I pay them, and for those who want to become CMOs, how do you know when you're ready, what does the day-to-day look like, and how do you balance short-term and long-term success? In today's episode, I'm looking for answers to those questions by chatting with the new CMO of Tunes. Irina Chuchkina. Tunes is a payment service provider that enables global payments via their payment network. They're based in Singapore and cater to banks, money transfer operators, e-wallets and more. I talked to Irina back at the beginning of this year for the first season of the podcast, but we had a problem with the recording and weren't able to publish. Back then, Irina was global head of brand and communications at Rapid, a global payment network that enables payments in local currencies. We've also had them on the podcast, by the way. I was delighted then when Irina agreed to come on the podcast again, but this time working for a different company and this time as a chief marketing officer. In this episode, Irina kindly shares insights into how she transitioned to CMO, what her first priorities were and her own feelings growing into this position. You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast where I explore how fintech marketers are using marketing to help fintech companies fulfill their mission of democratizing finance. I am your host, Araminda Robertson, partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. Oh, and before we jump into the episode, I wanted to let you know that we've just launched the Fintech Marketing Slack Group. That's right, a Slack community where you can meet other fintech marketers and founders, engage in group discussions with industry experts, and chat about upcoming podcast episodes. You can join now at fintechmarketinghub.com forward slash Slack. Let's hear from Edina. So what is the most impactful thing to have happened in your career so far?
1: Oh, it's a great question, Arvinta. There were quite a few interesting things that I've done. And I think one of my favorite parts of the experience is launching new products, or I guess as a marketeer helping, supporting the, the whole company to launch new products and to explain them and um, I guess explain the benefit. And I do find it very a very powerful and a very rewarding moment. So I've done it quite a few times. The most recent one was um, when I was at Grab. I was part of the Grab pair organization. So Grab is a Southeast Asian uh, super app. And I joined the team early enough uh, to actually be really heavily involved into some of those decisions about, you know, which direction to take and what, what, what to do, uh, how to roll it out, how would the, the the product vision, the financial vision look like. And I really loved that experience. And you launch in it. It begins typically, you start having a little bit of those almost like droplets, and then it becomes a rain. And then you, it really is a full-blown, you know, like a typhoon with all of the, no, not a typhoon, but I guess, like you, you could feel the, the element. The, there's something that you can't control anymore. So I think that is uh, one of the most fascinating experiences that probably a marketer can have, especially when you work with a very, very large region and a very large base, um, and you give a new tool and you start seeing them use it. And it begins with a few transactions and then many transactions and then millions of transactions. That's, that's amazing.
0: I can imagine that launching a product is a bit like launching a startup, as in like every time you're launching a product, it's a new entity, right? It's almost like a new company. So it's kind of a lot of energy and effort goes into it. And then it's incredibly rewarding when it takes off, right? That's right. Yeah. You've just done um, a big shift in your career can you tell us a little bit what, what's going on and what was your thinking behind it?
1: Of course, sure. So first of all, um, my whole career, my my whole pretty much professional life uh, has been in marketing and payments and financial services. So for me, that next step was probably the, you know, this crescendo, the big um, uh, step and the, the the big destination that I was uh, really looking for throughout this past 16 years. So I well, what, what basically happened to me is I moved from uh, a very big payments uh, company called Rapid, where I was uh, one of the function heads, uh, running global uh, brand PR communications and social media, and now I have become a CMO of a probably slightly smaller company, but still a really big and a very exciting company, also operating in a in a payments a payment space. So from Rapid, I joined another company called Tunes. Which is a Singapore-based payment collection as well as payment, well, payment disbursements, payouts company, B two B, obviously. And one of the things that made me make this transition, apart from the career trajectory and career growth, obviously, is um, actually a few things. Um, as a marketeer, you want to join a company that has great stories. You so after spending hours and meeting more than 10 people within within the company, I realized that Tunes has such a strong potential. It has a very strong product. It has beautiful technology. It has absolutely amazing, mind-blowing customers' list, but it never had very strong marketing or very you know strong attention to marketing. So that's one of the reasons why I was asking you, what are you, new Tunes? Nobody knows Tunes. And that's the reason why I joined, because I thought that there is a very uh, interesting and important role for me to play and I love telling and helping companies telling their stories and helping people tell their stories about their jobs, about what they, you know, what their the, the professional passions are. So that's um, uh, that's why I ended up being being a, Tunes, a CMO at Tunes. Really enjoying it so far.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, big congratulations. That's uh, an exciting step. And I like what you're saying about CMO. A CMO is someone who helps tell stories. So that that's kind of what you said. And also. The other day I read a really interesting quote that said the marketing department, the job of the marketing department is to communicate the voice of the subject matter experts in the company kind of, because the, the, the voice, the, the soul of the company is those, the, the sales department, the people who are constantly in contact with the, with the customers and who are building the product and marketing in marketing, we're in charge of kind of communicating that voice to the outside world
1: through a story. Absolutely. That's yes, what you said. precisely. And that story can have so many different forms. And sometimes, obviously, I mean, with the, this is the beauty of it, that the stories can be short form, it can be visual, it can be, I don't know, some pixels on the screen, but it could also be a speech on stage. And it can be, uh, there's a, a lot of room for creativity, but you're right, the power the power and the really um, amazing, well, the, the opportunity is really amazing when you have, this substance, and then you give it form.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's cool because we've had Rapid on the podcast also. So it's really, it's it's nice to see kind of a transition and it's very, yeah, it's really exciting. You, you went from head of brands and communications at Rapid to a CMO. What kind of, what are the day to day, what are the differences? Like what are the different things that you're doing? So
1: I guess for some of the people that might be listening and the probably especially the CMOs, like many of the things that I might be telling would not be new news. And this would be sort of maybe interesting to those who are still looking to become a CMO. But it's interesting that, um, I think I'll break it down into two parts. So first of all, from just the the daily interactions and the format of your day-to-day job, it changes. And you are typically, um, what happens to you is that You're not crafting things as much as you used to. You're not building those things. You're reviewing them a lot more. So the large chunk of your job is now reviewing more than creating. So you have to read, well, absorb, react, uh, identify gaps, um, provide opportunities or look for opportunities to create synergies, connect all of the dots, analyze and sort of process and digest information a lot more. Than anything else, that's probably one of the biggest things that change in your life. You are less doing a little bit less with your hands. You're still involved, but like you are doing less with your hands. You are reacting, and people rea- uh, re- well expect from you this reaction. So that's the first change, and that was an interesting interesting contrast. The second thing that happens is that, especially when you become a CMO of a, an already grow fast growing business, you immediately start to obviously your exposure level it gets much higher. You're starting to be exposed to so many different functions and, you know, different different departments and their their activities. And they start sharing and sharing like sharing documents with you, sometimes with context, sometimes with a little bit less context. So you have to again, you are exposed to many things and you have to try to make sense of all of those different different things. And you also start being pulled into a lot of different directions. People are sending you requests. They have some expectations. They want, and obviously they seek support from marketing. So basically, if I look at it from the, you know, just the the overall company functions, there's product team that obviously needs and has to work with marketing. There's sales, as you mentioned. Uh, There's network team. So in our case, we would have a network team. That that is, um, I guess, the, 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 the supply side of the business. There's partnerships. Then there's leadership team, and that leadership team also is looking for for market. There's HR, and they want to do employer branding, and they want to elevate the sort of expose the culture of the company. All of those different pieces and streams that's that becomes all of those people become your sort of customers, internal stakeholders. So you're being pulled into all of those directions, and then what you have to do is. Try it within that sea of priorities and requests. Try to really stay focused, and that's probably one of the new challenges. Uh, well, I obviously say staying focused is always important in any job, but it becomes much harder because you're also starting to like, yeah, it's it's the request. How do you prioritize one request over another? How do you find resources to um, and, um, to basically execute all of the and address everyone's challenges and concerns? Well, I know concerns, but well, yeah, well, what, yeah, the demands. How do you Find to try to connect the dots and find synergies. And ideally, I guess the, the right answer. So what, what uh, my approach and what I have been trying to do so far is looking for shortcuts and trying to kill multiple birds with one stone. So as much as possible, try to find initiatives that would actually be helping multiple objectives, will help be helping us to address and achieve multiple objectives uh, at the same time. So and then there is, um, I think, one more level, probably the last thing that is a uh, last complication. You have your day-to-day and you have your urgent and, and still important and your deadlines, but you also have to think at least, I don't know, a few months ahead, ideally up to one year ahead. On, and especially as marketeers, you steer a little bit of that future vision, well, actually a lot of the future vision. You, uh, you're working with all of the other stakeholders on determining what's the future of the company going to be like. How are you going to project and portray that future? What is the, whether you call it positioning or you call it, I don't know, like reputation, brand, there's different ways to call it, but basically making sure that you have you know, that you try to look beyond the horizon and continue to see forests, not just the trees. That is an interesting perspective that you obviously have to constantly monitor, so constantly be aware of. So it's ruthless, ruthless prioritization, staying focused. Uh, trying to look for synergies and shortcuts and, yeah, try to find, um, find room to, to spend time on the big picture, to just think, think in time and uh, allow yourself a little bit of those, you know, thinking breaks every now and then because you also get copied on hundreds of emails. Suddenly, like people start <laughs> yeah. putting you in CC of the emails that you n- didn't really even think that you, you don't think you can even contribute to that discussion or you should be there. But like, yeah, well, yeah. OK. It's
0: funny. You're obviously spinning a lot of plates. It's uh, it's like a completely new world in a way. And you didn't even mention integrating into a new culture. I mean, that's a huge thing in itself, right? Yes, absolutely. You, do you have your own team? You have your own team, right? And now you're kind of managing that team. How, how is that going?
1: Well, integrating into a new culture is, um, is something that you have to probably do um, at least a version of that even before you join. And I think that probably is one of those pieces of the due, um, the due diligence. The, well, the way you're looking for this job, the way you're onboarding to the job, the way you're choosing this job is not following the, just the, the standard interview process and you are not a job seeker. You're looking for a fit. So for me, I think determining and trying to understand that in that culture uh, well, at least have a good sense of what it is, it was part of my due diligence, was, was the reason why I actually asked to speak to as many people as I can before we both, both sides, make the decision. I wasn't looking to find a fast way to onboard. I was actually trying to spend more time and I probably easily spoke to like 10 people. Across all the different parts of the organization, including the you know people that typically I wouldn't interact with the most, and I liked what I saw, and I liked what I heard, and I liked the vibe, and I had um, uh, a very you know positive way of like reaction to that. So I think even that gave me a very good sense of the what the culture was like. So it wasn't really um, you know huge surprises and your your day one and you show up into the in the office and you find yourself in a completely. Different environments contrasting to any any of your previous expectations. So I think for me that I really had this very good pre onboarding, and it was um, it was an enjoyable and pleasant experience because, you know, what you what you can expect.
0: I think that's a very good tip. Speak to as many people in the company as you can before making the leap, like at least 10 I think that makes well, a lot of I, sense. I don't think
1: everyone would agree with me, but that's just my way. And I think, oh, really? um, like, yeah, I've seen, like, I think on LinkedIn, someone was recently having a poll <laughs> of how many interviews should you have? Like, three was apparently the optimal number. I, really? I
0: think
1: it depends. It depends on how big yeah. You're. But, like, I think if you're joining um, a C suite or if you're taking a, a bet and you're joining an industry that, especially if you're not, not as familiar with, or maybe, I think you should make your decisions carefully and you should, should yeah, you should be a little bit more aware of what you, you would be entering.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I would want to talk to 10 people at least for sure. <laughs> you mentioned that you'd been working to, towards this for like 16 years. So this has been kind of on your mind for a long time. I'm just wondering, like, were you, how did you know you were ready? Like, were you maybe a little bit nervous when you first started about this big role? Did you have the so-called imposter syndrome. How are you feeling about like this bigger role? Oh, totally.
1: I still have the imposter syndrome and I probably will yeah. <laughs> continue having it for a little while, um, especially in the first weeks of the, the, the role. Yes, for sure. Mm. How did I know that I was ready? You know what? Um, what happened? I think I started hearing from other people that I was ready. People started calling me. Really? Yeah, so it's um, an interesting thing. Uh, Other people started calling me and, I don't know, even like talent acquisition people, someone like CEOs of other companies and founders. They were actually trying to recruit me as their CMO. And I was sort of in the beginning a little bit taken aback. And then I was rejecting a few uh, because they wouldn't probably just try to fit. But I think that gave me a realization that if the world thinks that I'm ready, then perhaps I am indeed ready. And I I obviously had gathered quite a lot of different pieces of the puzzle. Um, and I think for me, actually, uh, 16 years is a rather long period. In some cases, I've know, I mm. know people that are jumping into that role much earlier. But I think my experience actually started from almost exactly well, not that moment, but uh, somewhere early in my journey, very my very, very first job, I joined a very small startup, and I was uh, an intern, then a marketing manager, and then within literally I don't know six, uh, less than six months. They promoted me to a sort of a head of marketing, and I immediately almost got a few people, a couple of people to, that were reporting into me. I was like 22 or something, and I remember how clueless and lost and confused I was because I had no one to learn from. I had a little bit of the theoretical knowledge from all of the you know the university and other like in books and anything I could read. But I realized that I have no one to learn from and I, was, I had no idea how to steer you know, the team and what to do and what are the pieces of the puzzle. That was probably the main and the first reason how I decided that I want to learn from the best. So throughout this past 16 years, my, um, I guess my career strategy was to try to find the teams and the leaders that I would really be try well, learning from, that would be looking up to, that I would, be, that would be better than me, that would be stronger than me. And that's, uh, literally what happened. So, and then apparently I've assembled all the pieces and now I have a different, very different level of, you know, comfort and confidence. And I've tried so many different things that I, yeah, I guess, I guess. So that's like the moments coming. But I think again, there's probably also different level of confidence and I, for different people. Typically, I think women also have uh, tend to have a little bit less of that. Um, I, and it's not even just ambition; it's just you know, like how they believe, uh, how they feel about themselves might be different from the rest of the world. I think men typically probably would be more. I don't know, uh, easy into easily yeah, confident. confident. Yes, I think it's there the confidence. Yeah. But I think it's, um, it's still an exciting journey, and I'm really enjoying it so far. For
0: sure. It's it's very inspiring, and I mean, I'm like someone like me, or even fellow marketers who w- who would eventually want to become a CMO. I like what you're saying about it's very important to have the right mentors, right? Have the right people around you. I, the hard part is is kind of finding them. H- how did you go about f- making sure you were surrounded by the right people?
1: Well, part of it is pure luck.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Part of it, part of it is uh, this a little bit of this due diligence and selecting selecting who. Well, it's an interview is a dual process as a dialogue, right? So sometimes the company sort of likes you, but you may not necessarily be there as as excited. I must say that in the last few years I actually did I was extremely lucky to have some of the best, the best industry experts from whom I've learned so much, who were also trusting me, who were giving me the ability, but also the ability, the resources, the encouragement, the support. To do all of the things that I, I I wanted and I thought were right, but also they, they stretched me and they, they they grew me, they helped me grow, so in my first few years probably worth well actually determining that direction i've learned from them, and if, if it not if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't be wouldn't be capable of being here and doing it you know, doing it this way and yeah, I think now that I look back it's probably it can be prob- it, it can be something that you um you can probably figure out during the interview stage, so that report that you uh that you are whether you're having that appro- or report with your hiring manager or not is probably this is probably the most important magical m- moment that can determine your career trajectory for you know at least years in some cases years in some cases <laughs> probably less than that <laughs> decades. <laughs> Um, But also, um, I realized that at some stage, uh, people want to, um, uh, and even more, another sort of uh, rewarding experience is when people also want to hire you as they move um, up in their career trajectory and they invest with jobs. And that is typically also working very well because they, you know, you already have this level of confidence and trust. So that's another good way to also join people that you have been enjoying working in the past. Staying connected with them, keeping your network, uh, keeping your eyes and ears open. And uh, yeah, it's, it's also a great way to, uh, to end up being in a, well, a a happy place and with people that you trust and you enjoy working with. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's um, it's all about the network many times, right? By the people you know. So having the right people is, makes a big difference.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: What are some mistakes that you're scared of making as a CMO?
1: Um, so, but it's a, it's a personal thing. So I, I'm sort of trying to, um, to be aware of not becoming reactive to some of the things that are being thrown my way. I think that's one of the dangers that can happen, especially when you're in a marketing function, because, uh, you are a resource to other people and you, they are trying to, uh, obviously get some, some of that. And, uh, I, I think that's if there is a very fine balance and that's something I'm, I'm 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 actually really happy to to help people. I'm one of those people that is you know like a, is feeling I do need a little bit of that acknowledgement of the fact that I I, I enjoy um, making people happy and um, completing I guess um, working with them and completing their projects completing the task for them. But I think it's a very there's also this very fine balance about how do you also have uh, keep your clear vision and have your proactive strategy and the big thinking and and again like this think about the, the beyond the look beyond the horizon so that's something that I'm um, trying to avoid and that's probably one of the the big big mistakes some other mistakes are also obvious hiring wrong people. That's another mistake, mm, yeah. because obviously the organization, as the organization, will be building. It's uh, back to that same magical sixty minutes that you typically have in your with your candidates. Uh, you have to determine whether the person is that is going to bring the company to the next level, or in some cases, it's just uh, you know the sweet talkers and the people that project themselves better than they perform. So I the, the, so having a little bit of that. Uh, how do you build the the right team? Making sure that the team is also has you're right. Like culture is a, an extremely important piece of it. How do you establish a good culture within your team? How do you make sure that there's collaboration and people are relying on each other and supporting each other as opposed to competing? So all of those things is um, are all of these things are I guess the potential mistakes, and I'm sure there's a million more. So. But these are the, at least the ones that I'm trying to um, to keep in mind and to at least well, stay aware of. I,
0: I like what you're saying about uh, trying not to be reactive. I think that's something that we can all sometimes fall trap to. Like you just want to put out fires, but actually taking the lead and saying, actually, let's just leave the fires burning for a little bit and focus on, you said, as you said before, the big picture or things that are very important, like the culture and the in hiring the right people, I think the, the fact that you're aware of that is really it's interesting, and I think that's um, it's a good indication that you're aware of what to look out for.
1: One of the yes, one of the mistakes that I've seen uh, actually, well, in similar spaces, also people not coming back to pick up things that were sort of half working mm, and fix fix yeah. the um, not the gaps, but basically improve it's it, improve something that was just good enough. Not improving something that was just good enough, like that's um, accepting the mediocre if you if you want. If something is just meh, and you just throw it out and you leave it there and you don't fix it and you don't come back to it, that's something that I think uh, again it's not just a marketing thing. I think it's just for across the the, the any anyway yeah. of the organization. If the process is not perfect, but it sort of works. If the design is not really what you wish it was. Uh, but you still launch it because it, there's a deadline and like you well, have something someone's I don't know, asking, calling or whatever. There's like a campaign that's supposed to start. And how do you make sure that you don't take sometimes uh, some of those compromises that you would be regretting or you would be remembering later in your in your journey? and i think all of us have been probably in the situation when we, we at least we saw this we saw this other i don't know some other teams and some other people so i think that's kind of something i'm also trying to avoid as well yeah i mean
0: it's it's a bit of a balance because you don't want to be like you know going through every single detail either sometimes you know done is better than perfect right but it's also like you don't want to leave as you said mediocre you don't want to make it like uh the the norm right you want it to be more uh like the standards to be high
1: and for that actually i do have some sort of well my personal framework and solution which is in creating really good templates and by templates i mean it cannot i'm not just talking about like whatever visual templates i'm talking about trying to create a benchmark and then using um, a framework whatever it is but uh, some sort of a a replicable structure that will help you to uh, because most of our operations are repeatable. Most of the types of things and campaigns and I don't know whether it's a strategy, a marketing plan, a social media, um, I don't know to, to campaign. Uh, most of those things are coming back to us again. So trying to think about always building on the the things that you've done before that were really well executed, and sometimes it would be things from. Slightly, you know, not necessarily directly related, but trying to build on the better quality ones as opposed to also sometimes not trying to re- reinvent the wheel and coming, you know, coming up with something completely new, uh, actually just building on a, a, something good and trying to improve it. And ideally, you, you would want to have templates for all of those different pieces and, um, and some previous past experiences that you've gone through. One of the things and why, I guess, an example of that, not not for marketing, actually, when I was in one of the innovation trainings and also sort of disruptive thinking, creative thinking trainings, a professor told us about a pretty famous case study about a Spanish restaurant called El Puy. I think it's now closed. It's it was number one restaurant for really a few years i believe three Michelin stars and everything and it was mind blowingly mind blowingly innovative uh during a dinner i think the only 50 or 60 people were able to have uh, to be served uh one was it? in, in barcelona right yeah. it used to be in barcelona it's closed yeah, unfortunately that's where Honestly. Oh, okay, so maybe you will be able to tell me that story. I I do know about it. Yeah. I've never been, but But the case I wish. <laughs> study was based on the fact that it was a, an absolutely amazing next level experience, but the how mm-hmm. they did it is they only operated half a year for 6 months and the remaining 6 months they were experimenting. And they were collecting every single result of that experience. And the experiment experimentation was happening across the different um disciplines. So there was a cook, there would be a sommelier, but there were also chemists and like scientists that would come on board to help to determine the new new menu for the next year. And they were very carefully documenting every single failure, as well as every single success that they were having. And then basically what I'm talking about is this replicable structure. You remember keeping archives of the Collecting the lessons learned, keeping summaries of things that you think were working, or at least having them somewhere in your, you know, like even a, just a, a piece of paper or like whatever, Evernotes. And then something that you liked before, I'm trying to, I'm having a ton of bookmarks and a ton of uh, like a log of the uh, the different um, campaigns that I've I've seen that I enjoyed. And basically coming back to those things and trying to have them to use them as a template for something that you're building. Or not in maybe another template, in some cases, inspiration or a standard or something that is a, you know, might be a useful reference. So I think that is an interesting way to make sure that you keep the standards high and that you also have a little bit of that uh, awareness of what's good and what's not.
0: I completely agree. And I, I like to think that a career is basically improving your templates that's, that's every also year. That's also true. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's how... That's what I think, because I've also got my own templates that I've built over time. And it's just like a courier is just improving those templates, improving your processes to a point where you're like.
1: And good. you're doing that exactly with the podcast. So you, I'm sure you also have your formats. <laughs> I'm trying to improve And then it. you're trying yep. to improve it. Yep, I'm sure you're exactly. also looking at some of what some other people are doing and possibly taking inspiration. Mm-hmm. But it is a template. Mm-hmm. It's a know-how, basically. Yep. Yeah. every. <laughs> Exactly.
0: Yeah, we exactly. should be doing that. It's, it's great. I, this is super exciting. I mean, I, I would love to talk more about this, but I kind of also want to talk a little bit more about what you're doing at Tunes. So now you're, you've been there for two weeks. Can you tell us a little bit what you I mean, maybe it's a bit too early at the moment, but kind of what are your plans for the future? What are you going to be focusing on for the next few weeks or even months?
1: Sure. Oh my God. Yes. So obviously I'm still in the (laughs) onboarding stage and onboarding state. However, having said that at startup, I think that's um, probably the biggest difference between startup and a large uh, enterprise. You're supposed to be productive from day one. You're not brought in for Mm. like an eight week onboarding experience. Then when you sit, uh, do nothing, you're not even allowed to touch things. You are actually starting to contribute to all of the discussions. You're being looked into the uh the planning and the uh, the reviews again, like all of the different project streams, and you are supposed to drive things and already um possibly somehow make small at least small contributions or uh in some cases big contributions as well. <laughs> I'm definitely obviously still picking up uh, quite a lot of the execution um i've uh, uh basically what I've done is I'm, what I'm trying to do is map up map out all of the different well key initiatives and key streams understand what's happening in each of them, identify where we have some strengths and some gaps. And the key uh, the key streams in the marketing space would be PR, content, social media, events, uh, web or any sort of digital activity related to the website, lead generation, um, infrastructure, uh, analytics, digital marketing technology, all of those uh, marketing automation systems. And the final piece is probably the team. So basically understanding what happens in each of the segments, in each of those spaces, how some of them should be uh, interconnected. Once again, trying to find and see whether we could do any any, uh, synergies and whether we could generate fast and quick results by doing small and easy things maybe big but easy things i'm trying to i you obviously had my so i'm not sure whether everyone would have it but i did have my 30 60 90 day uh days plan uh i've uh, obviously it's already changed of course whatever you had in mind your expectations uh the the direction changes after after you join the company but basically i'm so far i'm trying to stick to that to that plan interestingly enough and i am actually quite happy to see that i think i'm moving faster in the 30 60 90 days plan that i was uh, even initially supposed to, well i was expecting from myself so there's uh, already certain things that i'm starting to drive but once again it's the same thing about staying focused making sure that you help people to structure their work streams better I'm also a rather structured person. I like to have uh, things uh, more or less like to, to, to take care of and bring a little bit of order into it. Uh, obviously, there's uh, going to be a little bit understanding what the resource gaps are, so the, what the hiring needs are, how will I uh, continue to evolve the organisation. Uh, which peoples which people are required, which uh, which talents and uh, sort of skill sets uh, are needed and what what are we missing? But also trying to think about like the, the vendor ecosystem, uh, map out vendor vendor ecosystem because we're I guess in marketing we always rely on all of the different tools and uh, agencies in some cases freelancers. Um, so having all of those different pieces of the puzzle and seeing if there's any gaps, how do we find and how do we close them? Uh, so yeah there's I mean it's it's probably hard to tell tell exactly what am I going to be doing I know that I've um as of now uh I'm trying to have like this spreadsheet with multiple tabs for myself that actually coordinates and puts everything um into uh, hopefully a single picture. I've also another really interesting thing that I, well, I personally think is uh, is very important for a CMO or any uh, marketing head is having some sort of a fact sheet on the organization. And by fact sheet, basically it's, um, again, I come a little bit with the, from that perspective of the uh, public communications, PR, media relations. How and what is it that we give to the media, send to the reporters, but also uh, share with every single employee in the company and tell them that these is these are the Tunes facts. These are the things that we can brag about. Go and brag about them wherever you meet or see someone, whenever you're speaking at a webinar, whenever you're talking to a customer. These are the things that you can go and share, go ahead and share. And there's a ton of those. And typically people are probably not even aware of, like they might be a little bit uh, having a, uh, you know, the exposure to a specific part of the organization, but they may not necessarily have all of them. But it, it's about, you know, it, it can be about the history of the, of the company. It could be about um, some of the customers that we're having and uh, who we serve. What are the, the amazing brands that we're working with? And so from, from all of those pieces, literally for me, in my case, I think I ended up, I was hoping to get a one pager and it ended up being two two page fact sheet. But that's um, an interesting thing that um, I think is important to have. That that's the core of where we are. It's like a snapshot of our at least the present present state. So that's um, and then it will become the core foundation of uh, some of your key key key, uh, you know media kits as well as collaterals. Yes, there are some existing collaterals, but maybe there's, again, like, you can take something from those fact sheets. It can become your speaking uh, speaking briefs for all of your uh, public speaking engagements. It can become the foundation of your, in some cases, social media pieces. What do you expose? Which parts of it? Like, you take a snippet from that fact sheet, one of the data points, and it ta- talks about the fact that, say, 95% of transactions, I'll plug, 95% of transactions on Tunes Network are real time. And that's actually really powerful. So like, and and that's not something I've seen before. So all of those things and pieces are just consolidated in a very concentrated place.
0: I like the fact sheet. I think that's very important. Making sure that your communications are aligned, right? When everyone is talking. And from what you're telling me, it sounds like you, you started with like an audit, essentially of what's going on right now. What are the gaps? What are the quick and easy wins? And then kind of like, how can we align everyone? That's kind of what you're working on right now. And it's, uh, yeah, it sounds really fun. It sounds really exciting. I'm, I'm asking this because I'm asking from the point of view of um, a fintech founder, you know, someone who's just starting a fintech company and they're looking to hire a CMO. And you're on the other side of that. And I'm actually curious, you know, what how can a fintech company help ensure that that transition is smooth when they hire a CMO? Or even how do they know when they're ready to hire a CMO? Is that something that you know a little bit about?
1: I think CMO is probably not the first uh, or the second hire that you would be making, but it might be in the first 10 for sure, like maybe for person number five or six, or at least the person that would be in charge and leading uh, leading the marketing part of the organization. And um, maybe even earlier than that, I must say that like in, um, so my husband is an entrepreneur and he's a CEO and it's really sort of, a, so he's still um, in the early stages He's thinking about marketing almost as much as he thinks about fundraising, which is a lot. And he's doing a lot of conscious efforts into into well, thinking about how does he, how is he going to explain himself? How is he going to project himself to the world? What does he tell in again like social media? What he, does he put on the website? So I think having uh, someone that would have experience and whose full time job would be to think about all of those pieces is um, is extremely important for the success of the company. I've uh, seen marketing contributing actually really, really strongly to the valuation of the, of the brand, of the company. And that was one of the lessons learned from, again, some of the previous, a couple of previous startups that I've, uh, I've worked at. Uh, marketing uh, is um, eventually... Yeah, I must say that it's probably one of the good, like the the core functions. So it's like as almost as important as technology and the product that you're that you're building. The next thing is is marketing, because it can then influence everything. It, it can influence your relationship and the dynamic of your conversation with uh, your investors. It can influence your sales, uh, sales and growth, uh, because it can well suddenly generate uh, some things. And there are people that are focused on there. Obviously, some some believers in the product led organizations where organic growth happens because the product is just so good and the need is just so vast. But I think that can only work in, well, to me, that that, that, there is, uh, it can only work when marketing is also doing their job well enough. And like no, Apple doesn't, well, has a pretty solid marketing team and they're doing really, really good things and they do invest a lot of money. And Apple is clearly a product-led organization.
0: Yeah, and also I would say that it's just very rare Like it's it's the exception rather than norm, as in being able to grow a product without marketing. So in general, on average, companies do a lot better with marketing, right?
1: Absolutely, yes. They grow faster. They, again, investors are typically getting much warmer.
0: So when in doubt, just do it, do marketing.
1: (laughs) Yes. And on your other question about how to help the the CEO to bring speed the marketing person up to speed, how can they make it easy and smooth? There's no better way than just spend as much time as you can and speak. Your, your marketing person should be almost like a therapist. They should know ideally everything about your business, including some of wow. the downsides and risks, because at some stage there might be a, like, a need for crisis communication. Uh, yet the focus should obviously be, so one of the questions that I'm asking every most of, well, almost every single person I'm meeting with is what are you most proud of What do you think the world needs to know about tunes that they don't know already? What do you think is the most sort of um, the fact that would surprise everyone? And like I'm hearing so many great responses about that, and I'm just taking notes, and these are really long notes about all of (laughs) those different again like different pieces. And every single person, including people in you know in, in 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 our world, like. I was probably one of the most impressive meetings for me was a meeting with Treasury. Like, I never thought a meeting with Treasury would bring me so many insights about how many reasons uh, there are for us to brag about our Treasury systems. And it was my, like, it was an interesting and eye opening experience. So, you never know where would the, these facts come from. They can come from solution architecture architectures, from customer care teams about, you know, all of the different, again, facts, it's a fact fact finding um, and building. So basically this fact sheet is exactly about some of the things and principles of working with our customers. SLAs that we deliver, how fast is that transaction? How easy it is to uh, uh, onboard or, or integrate someone? How many of those, like the spread and the um, of the different payment types and groups and m- models. I guess all of those pieces, the marketeer's main asset, the most precious precious asset. So, yeah, it's it's probably that asking part. Asking the
0: right questions. Asking
1: the right questions, but also telling. So if you're a CEO and you're well, one of the, um, the founders, one of the, the C-suites, tell your marketeer uh, as many of those things that you would brag to your friends about about the company or yeah, and I think let them definitely let them know about you know, the things you you would want everyone to know. It's, it's yeah, probably so far the best the best outcome. But also marketing, sorry, it's like I keep adding other things. I think a marketeer can also be only be productive one is not just a single team that is executing that um, that bragging, I guess, that whole amplification. I think one of the the secret weapons that I um, discovered, and I'm sure if we've all seen all of this is digital especially digital marketing can only be so effective and it could, yes it can spread some of those the the facts and the content that you put together but people if you turn people and especially senior leaders into those advocates, if you make the, if help help them First of all, to craft that message, but also make their voice heard and support that. So marketing and um, can help and encourage more people within the company to become more loud. And that's where I think this is the combination of the strong partnership between the, the leadership team or actually everyone across the organization and uh, and marketing. And that That is my primary request to the team so far. Go online, start be, just engaging with our social media posts. Share it, share it, like it, post it, make sure that you follow the, the company, find something on the wall that you would be actually, uh, that you would want to share with the rest of the world. And that's something that has worked extremely well in my previous employer. And that's something that I would absolutely want to replicate and uh, would encourage everyone as well. And, and suddenly you're not just a team of, say, five people or you know, 15 people, you're a team of 200 people, 500 people that all work as your ambassadors, brand ambassadors.
0: That's a really good tip. I think founders listening to this will understand that marketing is kind of a way of, of uniting the entire team and using that to then amplify the message, connect to others. It's, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, I don't, I'm thinking of a metaphor, but I can't really, like the gum that glues everyone together in a way. And then also kind of can communicate that, the soul of the company to stakeholders, essentially.
1: Well, some people, yes, yeah, some people need a little bit of that help of you know turning their thoughts, and some people, some cases, some, turning some of their knowledge and uh, uh, just externalizing it a little bit, or maybe uh, putting it together into a, a nice, good story. So that's the that's the power of marketeers. But you're right; everyone gets excited. And people need, I think they actually are looking for reasons to, again, to be proud of their own employer. So if you give them those reasons, you give them those tools. That's what makes the whole difference. Yeah.
0: Well, Edina, this has been fascinating. I have one more question for you. You have a, an old LinkedIn post. Uh, we've talked about this one before, um, where you talk about like four lessons that they don't teach you in, in business school. And I liked what you say that, Your audience is like children, is like kids. And at the end of the day, we're all like kids and we like just having fun. And you believe that B2B marketing should also echo that. So I'd love to hear how are you going to try and how are you going to make B2B marketing fun and play at uh, Tunes?
1: So first step to that, I think, and uh, for B2B payments, fintechs, they definitely need to simplify just the language. The, mm. the language that we speak typically is uh, sometimes, I know, quite complex. And we have all of those different terms, uh, even, I don't know, the word, the word interoperability. How do you really explain it? Like, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, there's a lot of those types of things. So, and sometimes I think people um, don't think about an, a better way to just to, 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 to explain a certain thing or a certain technology. And I think that would probably be my first step in trying to take some of those um, pieces and concepts and um, and messages and trying to apply a little bit of that simplification lens. And the first thing is by doing it by simpler words. But also, again, I'm extremely visual and extremely visual person. And I think if those visuals and uh, uh, applying a little bit of that design, uh, yeah, I guess magic powder can help a lot. And we've all seen how these things work really well on LinkedIn and on Twitter. People are reacting to pictures much better than they react to words. Uh, even the same words. But there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, that's probably the way. What you know, what you find in a good kids' book a children book is basically a story that also has good, powerful pictures that explain and illustrate the story. So I, especially if you're talking about a really complex thing, why not illustrate a complex thing and not illustrate it with uh, just a genomic diagram that is really hard to go through. Try to find a simpler way. And I think I do believe in the power of simplification. I think B 2 b world typically, well, there's quite a few, actually, some companies that are doing it quite well. But I think we all eventually are reacting to some of the symbols. And there is um, almost always a simpler way to describe a thing, to describe a technology, to describe even, you know, a solution. And that's what I will be hopefully trying to help tunes do and tunesters do as well.
0: Well, that's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much, Irina, for coming on today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Armin. It was a pleasure. Thank you for
0: listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com and then click on podcast. We've also got a fintech marketing Slack community where you can meet fellow fintech marketers and founders, ask podcast guest questions ahead of a show and attend exclusive online events with industry experts. We'd love to see you in there, hear your feedback and learn about the challenges you're currently facing in your role. To join head to fintechmarketinghub.com forward slash slack. That's all for today. See you in the slack.